This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 406, Stellar Cannibalism. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane, I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? Doing great. I was mentioning before the show, it's the herring run season here on, on the west coast of Canada, and it's just, it's, it's wildlife. To an extent you just can't even imagine. Hundreds of eagles, hundreds of thousands of seagulls, herring row piling up on the beaches, you know, like snowdrifts. It's a, you know, sea lions, whales. Uh, if you ever want to see like the greatest accumulation of nature ever, uh, check it out, West Coast, in March. The, the Mississippi estuary is awesome, but nowhere near that awesome. You, you truly have gotten... The massive, awesome birds and mammals. Yeah, and we get two of them. We get one in the spring, and we get the one in the fall when the when the salmon do their run up the river. And it's it's again the eagles all come back and and feast. But uh, yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great time. So just to want to give people a reminder that we actually do astronomy cast as a live show, and so we actually take the show actually goes for an hour. Now we only put out a half an hour of it on the podcast. But if you want to join us and like hang out for the chat and talk to us, and we'll answer your questions. We do the show live every Monday with occasional exceptions with occasional exceptions at noon and so the way you can join us is just go search on YouTube for Astronomy Cast you'll find our channel uh, make sure you subscribe to it and then give yourself notifications to be uh, notified when we do our live show and we will be glad to uh, to have you join us and then we'll answer your questions I'll say your name it's a good time and and if you're listening to this live on March 14th this is one of those lucky weeks when we're not recording on Monday because I'm actually going on like my first vacation in years uh, so we'll probably be recording on March 16th which is why you subscribe on YouTube so that you get these notifications for when we do these weird things uh, that'll be me on april 4th fyi yeah we take turns yeah this episode of astronomy cast is brought to you by eighth light inc eighth light is an agile software development company they craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable eighth light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better For more information, visit them online at www.8thlight.com. Just remember, that's www.thedigit8thlight.com. Drop them a note. Eighth Light. Software is their craft. Astronomy Cast is proudly sponsored by CleanCoders.com. Training videos with personality for software professionals. Okay, so most of the time, stars hang around for billions of years. But the universe is a big place, and anything that can go wrong inevitably does. And today, we're going to talk about what happens when stars come together. And the outcome is violent, but fortunately for you, also interesting. 
Now, just to like, let's do a big disclaimer, right? Like the events that we're about to talk about happen so rarely that, you know, you have to see across an entire universe and catch them occasionally happening. But, uh, but when it does happen, kaboom. For, for the most dramatic kinds of cannibalism, it turns out just like mosquitoes are constantly out there doing their little happy vampire thing, turns out cannibalism is actually fairly common uh, throughout our universe if you look for the less dramatic forms. The less dramatic ones, Just yeah. grabbing a biteful here and there, not eating the whole body. <laughs> So today we're going to talk, I guess, about how stars come together. One star feasting on another star, stars colliding, uh, and and what happens, and how you can even detect it. So uh, so let's start with, as you said, sort of the more common variety. Let's talk about some of the situations. And I guess to set this up is to talk about how common actual binary star systems are out there in the, in the universe, right? It's not just sol- solitary stars. Most stars are in are in multi-star systems. Yeah, the the running joke is four out of every three stars is in a binary. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that before. That's awesome. The the way that works is every three stars that you look at with your eye on the the sky, it turns out that two of those so-called single stars are probably actually two stars. So when you think you're looking at three stars, you're actually looking at two binaries plus two binaries plus a singleton, so five stars. Uh, it's it's fairly common, and uh, with all of these stars appearing in pairs, it turns out that sibling rivalry is a rather real thing, and gravitationally, they sure like to yank on one another's outer atmosphere. Right. Okay. So so set this up then, you know, in the more common binary stars, they're fairly far apart, right? That that they're not actually transferring any matter. It's really just down to, you know, they're gravitationally connected and they're orbiting one another, orbiting a common center of gravity, but they're far apart. And so they'll just go for their billions of years. One will die. The other's going to die. They're a nice, happy, wide binary star. Right. Okay. So how close do they need to be before things start to happen? It, it depends on their state of evolution and how massive the two stars are. One of the most common situations is you have two stars that are fairly run-of-the-mill. One is maybe several times the mass of the sun. The other one is more like the mass of the sun. And the bigger one um, evolves faster. That's just the way space works. We've talked about this in a million different episodes. But because it's evolving faster, it hits that point in life where it goes from happily burning hydrogen in its very core to, uh, well, bloating out into a red giant star. And it's this bloating period that gets it into trouble. If the two stars start off maybe a couple solar systems apart, well, as the one bloats up, it's going to get bigger and bigger. And eventually its outer layers might get just close enough to that sibling that is sitting there being a main sequence star that the sibling is able to start yanking off that material and bloat up to become even bigger well let's take a look at for example our solar system right Mm -hmm. so the sun right now teeny tiny um you know a million kilometers across or one sorry 1.4 million kilometers across but when it hits that red giant phase it's gonna be like as 
big as the orbit of the Earth, maybe? Probably a little bit bigger than that. Now, luckily, conservation of angular momentum and all that, uh, and mass loss and factor and all of these things, the Earth is going to migrate outwards. So in all likelihood, according to all modern models, well, not all, but many modern models, uh, the Earth survives being absolutely consumed because it's moved. But where the Earth is now, the sun will be later. Right. So the, but the Earth is whatever, 150 million kilometers. So we're looking at really a factor of 100 bigger that the sun is going to get. Right. Although I may back factor 50. Sorry, because I'm one. It's a diameter. The other case, it's a radius. But anyway, it's going to get way bigger. Right. Dozens yes. of times bigger. And so what could have been, you know, if it was just two stars, these two stars orbiting some common point and they were 150 million kilometers apart, they would, you know, it's that when one dies and that it gets that envelope that's so much bigger that that's when you get those those interactions. Okay, so so let, you know you've got these two stars. One dies first. It, it, it expands has a, out. It, it, it expands it, it out. Hits the, it, hits it hits the hits red giant edge. phase. It starts it starts to burn some helium and hits that red giant phase, and the other one starts to you know go through its outer atmosphere starts to eat it. So so we have what's called a Roche lobe. This is if you have a star and you have a star next to it, they have this combined gravitational field they're creating. And at a certain point between these two stars, a particle that just sort of set down, it's going to be gravitationally attracted equally to both of these objects. Now, you can trace out an entire shell where something at that shell is just on an equally potential surface is what we call it. And if it goes past that shell, it goes to the other star. If it stays inside of that shell, it stays with its parent star. Well, when you get two objects close enough together and one of them decides to puff up, it can puff up so that matter starts spewing through that Roche lobe. It's called filling the Roche lobe, overflowing the Roche lobe. And now you have matter streaming from one star off to the other. Conservation of momentum means that it usually goes through a disk on the way to the other star. Um, and once it gets there, that other star does what it will with it. So I'm trying to sort of imagine this situation, right? So we've got the one star, it's puffed out into a red giant. It's there's this stream coming off the star that's going like a almost like a river to the to the other star and the other star is accumulating this matter into a disk kind of like a black hole or kind of like a, you know, a protoplanetary disk or like a galaxy and it's accreting this material onto the star. Yes. Shenanigans? Um, all sorts of nifty neat things happen now. So in the least violent of cases, uh, you have in the end what we call a blue straggler. And it's been a long road figuring out what is up with these blue stragglers. So when you look at a globular cluster, population of really old stars, even some of the oldest open cluster stars, what we find is there are these weirdo, why haven't you finished evolving, bright blue, young appearing stars where they have no right to be. If, if you have a cluster of stars, all the stars should have formed at the exact same time. They should all be evolving in lockstep according to their mass. Bigger ones doing interesting things first, smaller things doing interesting things later. 
But we keep finding these random blue ones, which we call blue stragglers because they're straggling in their evolution. And for the longest time, we didn't know where they came from. Was it the merger of two stars in a binary? Was it cannibalism? Was it something else? And in recent years, people have looked at more and more of these blue stragglers with high resolution spectroscopy and seen that that blue star was doing the dance of a binary. It's the same thing that we see when we're looking for exoplanets, that little tiny wobble that's caused by getting gravitationally yanked to and fro. And in looking at these stars, it it appears that uh, mass was transferred from the more massive companion onto the less massive one when that more massive star became a giant. And it allowed the other one to just hang out on the main sequence all that much longer. So, you know, when you say hang out on the main sequence that Mm -hmm. much longer, you mean it's like it's gathering fresh fuel. Yeah that it can then use and continue to burn. And so when it would maybe have died, it now gets a second chance at life. It it ends up being able to have a support a larger core, have more matter down in that core and just, yeah, get a second chance at life. These things look like young stars in almost every way. It's their deficiency in lithium, but yeah. Like, why do we call it a blue straggler? Because all the other stars in the family have already evolved. And and so why is this star still straggling behind the crowd? Why hasn't it evolved on like everybody else? And it's because it got this second chance at life. Okay, I see, I see. So you've got like this this cluster that you would assume has all formed together at the same time. Mm-hmm. But and and as we know, right, the, the most massive stars detonate a supernova first and they're gone. And so you shouldn't see any of these young, hot blue stars. They should all have died a long time ago. And yet when you look in this cluster, you see these stars that have no place there. And so instead of actually being young stars, they are actually older stars that have been fed by a companion and they have become rejuvenated like some horror movie. That, yes, they're zombie stars. We need to start calling them zombie stars. Right, right. but I think, you know, I think of some like, you know, they, some, some older star, you know, feeds on the life force. Vampire stars, I think is probably better. At least feeds off the life force of its companion star and then gets a second chance at youth. Uh, it's a it's a science fiction fantasy. You know, it comes teen. right out of the DC universe. It's it's the yeah, old exactly. evil killing off the younger one to have immortality. Right. Okay. And so this is if they are. I guess if this uh, happens in a reasonable period of time. What other kinds of you know? I asked for some shenanigans. So what else could happen in this kind of scenario? Well, so so the blue stragglers are, are like I said, they're the boring ones. Uh, we also have the algal variables that uh, we're actually catching them in the process of the mass transfer. So the blue stragglers, they've 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 finished. They're done. They ate everything there was to eat. The algal variables are variables that we actually see them in the process of consuming their nearby neighbor, and we call them this because algal itself is one of these kinds of variable stars. Um, so again, in the, in this case, it's uh, the one star became a subgiant, and uh, it 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 transferred its mass to the lower mass star. 
how much of of the material will it consume? Like, will it kill the other star dead? Will it... And it turns out that if it's the more massive star that's transferring its mass to the lower mass companion, this is a fairly stable mass transfer. And it can go on and on and on until all that's left behind is essentially the white dwarf core of the other star. So it just eats the whole atmosphere off. Wow. But I mean, in the case of like a star like our own sun in the future, it's going to blow off of that outer atmosphere anyway, and then turn itself into a white dwarf. So, so it's almost like it's going through that same process. But in this case, instead of that whole atmosphere just being blasted off into space and making a pretty planetary nebula, it's, it's donating that outer atmosphere to this other star to give it a second chance. It, it's, it's a bit it's of not an ex- so horrible. It's, it's a bit of an accelerated process, though, because like right, our sun, it, was- it could hang out and be a mirror variable for a great deal of time but instead you basically have the neighbor just gravitationally slurping off the life force of the other star and leaving behind it's it's like an aging drug uh, i'm now thinking it's more like organ donation <laughs> right the, the 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 bigger star is just kind of giving the material to the younger star a little sooner and perhaps a little more violently than it was planning, but still. Um, okay, so what if those stars are closer together, though, right? Like, you know, like what if one star is like literally in the atmosphere of the other star? You you can actually get shared envelope stars now and then. Um, they're... We're still trying to understand them. There was one case a few years ago where we're pretty sure we captured one in the act. Um, it, it had the crazy name of Nasty One, and that, that's actually what we called it, uh, because it, its classification was N-A-S-T-1 uh, from the catalog it was in. This was a Wolf Ray star that was in a binary system in a shared nebula with violent stellar winds. And it was impossible and is impossible to see all the way down into the core to fully understand what what is going on. But observations with Chandra um, led folks to believe that this probably, probably um, is a case where they're somewhat sharing this violent outer cloud of gas and dust. If you get a star kind of within another star, is that going to act like an atmospheric drag? Is it going to is the is the are the stars going to spiral into each other? Yeah. Well, it it depends on if this is a permanent phase or a temporary phase. There there are different cases where the possibility uh, for instance, in some of the carbon variables where you see a star just suddenly essentially wink out, it's thought that perhaps this is a Kahneman envelope problem where you have a white dwarf spiral into a normal star and this just messes with the outer layers of the star. In cases like that, where it's two stars in the process of merging, shared envelope, it's probably exactly what you're talking about. Nice, drag, happily merge everything goes well. Um, There are cases where uh, they have a temporary shared envelope, things get blown away, and then you end up with two naked cores later. So what happens if the star spirals all the way in and, you know, hits the core? What happens if they actually merge in the middle? It, that is fine. It's a bit violent, but it's fine. 
Right, because you're only going to get like maybe two, three times the mass of the sun. You know, probably not a supernova. Okay, it's, all right. Yeah, it's it's not a big deal. You're going to get X-ray flares when they first mix, but that's okay. We know how to deal with X-ray flares. We observe oh, them. We stare at them. Yeah. They're fine. <laughs> In that we know how to recognize them in our <laughs> telescopes. Like we know how to deal with them. You know, no, like we're I, gonna... so, so the truly violent things actually don't involve the cores merging. The truly violent things involve cannibalism where you have a small compact object of high mass violently stealing the light life force off of a lower mass companion. Right. So but I mean think about this scenario. Right? You've got these two stars, you got the younger one die the the bigger, hotter one dies first, feeds all its material off to the other star, right? And now it's left and it's a white dwarf. And the stars keep orbiting one another. And then the second star dies, puts off its material, feeds the white dwarf. Now you got a different situation happening. And and there are scenarios where people have projected maybe you can go and go back and forth, but because of the way the angular momentum works, it it's not a perpetual energy system where you constantly are bouncing an atmosphere back and forth between two different stars. Well, no, no, no. But I'm I'm I was setting you up for what happens when a white dwarf is the is the object that's stealing material oh. from its companion object. Okay, sorry, I failed do, to do, recognize do to, that. Do, do you need me to do this again? Well, <laughs> no, no. so so let, let me step back. So so usually when you get a white dwarf, it's not because it's been stripped naked by its its peer. Um, normally, you just have one star that again it's more massive, it evolves faster. But in this case, it is it gets to hold on to its atmosphere, goes through normal evolution, lands as a white dwarf star, uh, kind of like our sun will someday in the future. But for a variety of reasons, the stars may end up migrating closer together or as its neighbor star, as the lower mass companion, much more likely, um, as it bloats up, as that lower mass companion decides to stop being a main sequence star and becomes a giant star of one form or another, um, it overflows its Roche lobe and material starts to stream onto the higher mass companion. Now, as it streams in, um, that, that white dwarf, it's just going to crush the material violently onto its surface. And the cool thing is, as it crushes that material on its surface, um, when that material gets crushed to the point that it's about 20 million degrees Kelvin, it's going to violently undergo nuclear fusion, which is another way of saying it acts like a lot of nuclear bombs. And uh, via the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen cycle, it's going to happily burn kind of like the core of a star, but on the outside of a star. Right. So you've got literally the 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 fusion like the core of the sun but on the outside on the on the the surface of the sun so what so what happens then uh well luckily it blows off a lot of this extra mass and so it flares up does its high i'm a nova thing blows off all of that energy and then goes back to sitting there now as its neighbor star yet again uh bloats itself up um, it, it may transfer a little bit more mass, and this is where you can end up with a recurrent Nova kind of situation. 
Now, what's cool is is we get to see these things as X-ray binaries, um, and in some cases, uh, we actually end up with what we call microquasars. Uh, this is where that accretion disk around the compact companion uh, has all of the physical properties of a normal quasar, except. It's, it's just around a stellar mass black hole or neutron star instead of around a supermassive black hole. But isn't there something wonderful that happens when uh, the white dwarf has consumed a certain amount of material from its, from its uh, partner? It, it's true. There are cases. See, I'm thinking all about the black holes because they're cool. But if you have a white dwarf that's happily being cannibalistic um, and nomming on its companion eventually just like all the rest of us that overeat it gets fat and once it exceeds about 1.44 solar masses kapow it kind of goes off as a type 1a supernova and I actually just did some research on this and there's nothing left there's no no black hole it's just gone yeah but these, of course, you know, the Type 1a supernova, these are those standard candles that astronomers use to measure distance in the universe because you got that wonderful 1.4 times the mass of the sun every time. That's, the, that's when it happens, which is super cool. And, and all of these different little compact binaries, they, they have amazing physics tied up with them. So we have the, the white dwarfs that consume too much. They go off as type 1a supernova. They are our standard candles. But then we also have millisecond pulsars are actually spinning that fast because they are in low mass x-ray binary systems. They stole material off of their partner. And that theft of material was kind of like an ice skater drawing in her arms it spun them up so that they ended up going well hundreds of times a second around their happy little rotational axes so what if these things collide well that's where we get gravitational waves and things like gamma ray bursts and hypernovae and yeah it's it's thought that short gamma ray bursts are are probably caused by the merger of neutron stars, and that's just kind of awesome to think about. So you're not going to get like like collisions, like two stars happening to collide with one another. You're going to get a situation where you've got these two stars that are orbiting each other in this really close binary situation, and eventually they spiral inward because of gravitational waves and merge with each other. And and that gives us violent gamma rays and afterglow that is very short in duration. I think we've caught them two or three times at most. And um, yeah, explosions are cool. And and what's awesome is globular clusters are kind of the ultimate place to go looking for this kind of stuff because while all the stars in a globular cluster more or less formed at the exact same time, the binary stars that we see in globular clusters aren't necessarily binaries where those stars form together, because these stars are so close together that they periodically swing past one another and like, oh, let's co-orbit. So you have new binary systems forming, not on a regular basis, but statistically more frequently than anywhere else. And so you have these situations where stars can end up close together, cannibalism can end up happening, not just between siblings, but between cousins. And you get all of these neat 
x-ray binaries and millisecond pulsars and everything else. And, you know, we've mentioned this many times before, which is that when we have some really great survey instruments, things like the Large Synoptic Survey, we're going to see these kinds of events with more regularity because we're now scanning the whole sky and we're going to be looking at all any brightenings, any movement, any explosions. It's a, it's a great time to be in this field of, of science. So it's, it's a neat future where we get to finally start learning the actual frequency of all of these different blue stragglers of uh, recurrent novi. And, uh, well, thank Chandra and Fermi for all of the millisecond and uh, other X-ray binaries that are out there. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Pamela. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at info at astronomycast.com. Tweet us at astronomycast. Like us on Facebook or circle us on Google+. We record our show live on Google+, every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, or 2000 Greenwich Mean Time. If you missed the live event, you can always catch up over at CosmoQuest.org. If you enjoy Astronomy Cast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax deductible for U.S. residents. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend us to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, Point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Our music is provided by Travis Searle and the show is edited by Preston Gibson.